Isn't that beautiful? I guess that's the first song many of us learned. I never learned to sing it as beautifully as Tommy sings it, but marvelous and beautiful song. And I never hear it, but I think of the question I asked Karl Barth, the great Swiss theologian, one of the great theologians of, uh, well, of all time, certainly of the last 200 years, probably the leading theologian in the world. Someone asked him along toward the end of his life what was the greatest truth he had discovered after decades and decades of study and work. What is the greatest truth he had discovered about God? And he answered, the greatest I have discovered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's good. This past week, a number of us from the church staff have been taking a computer course. <clears throat> uh, four mornings from 7.30 to 10, we went over to Trinity University and we learned all about computers. And uh, we had a lot of fun and we learned a little. We learned that there's a lot more that we don't know. But we have that new computer here at the church and we have some people <clears throat> who know a lot more about it than we do, but we all felt we should know something. And um, overcoming the statement a little learning is a dangerous thing, we decided to get at least a little learning about that computer. And so we have a little. Uh, you know, to, to look at our world today and uh, saw the movie War Games. Did, did you see that? Wasn't that a good movie? I... I've already done what that kid did. I, I know what's happening all over the world. Um, very entertaining movie, and, and uh, the whole, this whole computer thing is just incredible, isn't it? I, I mean, nowadays, if you don't at least know a little of the language, you feel like an ignoramus. So we learned a little of the language and still feel like an ignoramus. But... <laughs> You know, man's mania for a Messiah is incredible, isn't it? Man's mania to find some Messiah is just incredible. We look just a few years back in history and we see man's utopia is on the horizon. Industrialization is going to bring the kingdom of God upon earth. Industrialization. That will do it. Mechanization. That will do it. Education. That's the next Messiah. Then science, with all of its promises of a utopia. And now, computers. They're going to save us. We're talking about, or they are talking about, creating a computer that can think. We who cannot teach people how to think are going to teach a computer how to think. We can't learn, but we're going to teach this machine to learn. Well, I've gotten letters from some of those machines that need to learn a lot. They write me letters about all sorts of things that never happened. And you call up, and what do you get on the other end of the line? A computer. 
I do not like to talk to computers. The computer is not going to save us any more than the telephone is going to save us. It's not some new Messiah. Marvelous tool can be of great help to man and to mankind, but it is not our Savior. That's another sermon. What I want to talk about is a phrase, a phrase I learned in this class. I'd heard it beforehand, but now I understand it a little better. Garbage in, garbage out. How many of you are familiar with that term? If you put garbage in there, you get garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. Right? Right. Right about life, right about our mind, right about human relationships, but wrong about God. And the message this morning is garbage in, grace out. And I want you to look at the passage of Scripture I read from earlier, the 107th Psalm that begins with that marvelous invitation to praise. Oh, thanks be to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. This marvelous statement begins with the love of God and the grace of God and the redemption of God. He is good. His mercy, His love, His grace is from everlasting to everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed. We have not redeemed ourselves. Man has not redeemed his fellow man. Whom the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And He has gathered us he has loved us, He has redeemed us, and He has gathered us from every quarter, from east and west and north and south, from every strata in life, He has gathered us from everywhere. The marvelous, unending love and grace and mercy of God, the redemption of God, the collection of God, the gathering of God's people. He does all of that. Grace, mercy, peace, salvation, redemption. Now, when you hear that, you think, boy, he was out there redeeming all of these good folks. He was out there loving all of these lovable people. Those are the folks he is talking about. Wrong, that is not who he is talking about. And this psalm continues to describe four people. And all of us are this, these four people at one time or another, or most of us, most of the time, are a combination of all of them. And I want you to look at the four people that stand as symbols of every one of us. Here is God's grace. Here is God's love. Here is God's redemption. Here is God's salvation. And then here comes the garbage. Here comes man. Four groups. For those of you who are studying your Bibles and interested, the first group in verse 4, the second in verse 10, the third in verse 17, and the fourth in verse 23. Now, I won't go back to those verses again, but that, let me mention these four, these four groups of people. The first are people who are wandering. They wandered in the wilderness, 
in a lonely place, a solitary place, a desolate place. They found no city to dwell in. They didn't have any place to call home. Wanderers, searchers, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Travelers, people searching, people looking. Nothing wrong with that. We're all travelers. We're all searchers. We live on a planet of searchers. And sometimes in our search, in our travels, we inadvertently, sometimes unintentionally, make a wrong turn. That happens in life. It happens on the expressway. It happens messing around with that computer. You hit the wrong key. Don't intend to. We miss the mark. That's what the word in Hebrew and Greek means for sin. It means to miss the mark. It doesn't mean you're not shooting at the target. You are shooting at the target. You're aiming, but you're missing. Now, if you've ever spent any time on a rifle range, you're aware of that. I spent eight weeks on a rifle range in Paris Island, South Carolina, one cold winter. It was the most, one of the most depressing experiences I've ever had in my life. Cold, Marine Corps drill instructors there talking to you like no mother or Sunday school teacher ever talked to you. And uh, out there on that rifle range, that cold wind blowing off of the Atlantic, and you're trying to hit that target out there, the first 100 yards in different positions, and at 200 yards, and then the 300 yards, and then back there to 500 yards, and you're trying to check the wind and click those little things on the M1 rifle. Some of you will remember that. You're aiming at that target all the time, and sometimes a gust of wind will carry it off. Sometimes you'll miss the whole target. You know what you get when you miss the whole target? Maggie's drawers, that's right. They just wave this flag out there. You, didn't, you not only missed the bullseye, you not only missed the target, you even missed the frame. You missed the whole world. Wave Maggie's drawers. Sometimes you get that in life. You're aiming at it, you miss the whole thing. Completely blow it. Not intentional, doing your best. But you take a wrong turn. My goodness, that's happened to all of us. I think some of you have heard me tell the story about standing here in this pulpit one evening to perform a wedding ceremony. Our oldest son, Michael, had just broken his wrist so badly he was down in a hospital and undergoing emergency surgery. And I came out from the hospital to, right to this spot to perform a wedding and stood here and they asked me to say the Lord's Prayer at the conclusion of the ceremony, which I often do. So I had uh, performed the ceremony and my mind was and my prayers and everything were down there in that hospital with Michael. And I stood right here and at the conclusion of that ceremony, I started to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I went as blank as that wall. Have you ever forgotten the Lord's Prayer? I mean, in a crowd. Well, I knew I had to do something, so I kept praying. I prayed for missionaries. I prayed for <laughs> the budget. I prayed for everything. And you know how your mind can work at two levels? You know, I was praying along there, and the other level of my mind, I was saying, Buckner, you have got to get back into the Lord's Prayer some way. 
I thought of a phrase, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our... And I picked it up there and went right on and said amen. And everybody was looking at me like, is that the way it goes? <laughs> they were not real sure. And I just stood there like, that's the revised fanning version <laughs> of the Lord's Prayer. I didn't intend to do that. I was out here trying to do the best I knew how trying to pray the prayer that the Lord told us to pray and trying to help that couple, and I just blew it. My good friend Browning Ware, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Austin, we were in college. We were together in a revival meeting preaching up in, in uh, Hillsboro, Texas at the First Baptist Church. And Browning was, we were, you know, we were just so young and starting out, and boy, we were so conscientious, had all these notes and a big pulpit to hide them on. And... He was up there preaching away, and people started laughing, and he kept looking down at me to try to figure out what it was he had said, and that terrifies you to not say something funny and people laugh. You know you have really made a wrong turn somewhere. Browning was preaching on Samson, and somehow in his mind he was trying to paint another picture so the kids there would understand it, and he started calling inadvertently and unintentionally, he started calling Samson Tarzan. <laughs> and they were just preaching away, and he didn't hear himself saying that. I kept saying, Samson. Well, he was thinking, that's what I was preaching on. I said, Tarzan went down to see Delilah. <laughs> you may not do it in church, you may not do it in a revival meeting, you may not do it in a wedding. But somewhere along in life, you and I and every one of us with the best intentions and the highest hopes have gotten off the expressway of life at the wrong exit, right? We've made some mistakes. We've put some garbage into life. But that's not the only group of people that the Lord is talking about. He next talks about some folks who rebel. They sit in darkness. They live in the shadow of death, being bound by their afflictions because, listen to this, they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They willfully, intentionally rebelled against God. Now, I do not know about you, but I imagine most of us would be willing to confess this morning either to ourselves and to God and maybe even to other people that at some time and place in our life we willfully, intentionally rebelled against what we knew God wanted us to do. We may have rationalized it in many ways, endeavoring to convince ourselves that it was all right, but down deep inside we knew we were rebelling against God. We were spurning the counsel of Almighty God. I remember having a, a counseling session with a person, oh, two or three years ago now. They came, the person came out of some pressure by family. This individual was leaving uh, his or her married partner with uh, two or three children, and the person he or she was going to marry was also leaving a family with uh, two or three children. And so out of the pressure of some family concerns, 
uh, well, this individual came to see me. We sat there and talked for a few minutes, and, and then this person said this. said, I appreciate your taking the time. said, I'm here, not because I want to be here. I'm really here because I was forced to be here or coerced to be here by some people. I said, I understand that. And uh, if I can help, I want to help. If I can listen, I want to listen. This person said, well, frankly, I don't care if you say what I am doing is wrong. I don't care if my parents and my friends say what I am doing is wrong. I do not care if Jesus Christ himself were to walk in and look at me and say what you're doing is wrong, I am going to do it. I said, well, there's really not a whole lot more to talk about. And the person said, well, that settles it, doesn't it? I said, oh, no. That far from settles it. That just makes a decision. The settling will come later. For every man must give an account unto God. And God doesn't settle his accounts on the 30th of every month. We can rebel against God and the consequences follow. The third group, God calls them fools. Fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, they are afflicted. <clears throat> fools. Because of their transgression, they flagrantly disregard all the laws of God and common sense and conscience and wonder why they end up in pain, wonder why they are afflicted, wonder why they are unhappy. The Lord has put some physical laws in the universe. We know that. The Lord has put some physical laws in the universe. Now, you can't see the law of gravity. You can only see how it works. But if you willfully and obstinately choose to disregard the law of gravity, you're going to get hurt. It's just good sense to obey the law of gravity if you can because you'll have a lot fewer broken bones. Now listen, doesn't it make sense that God who is spirit would put as many or more teeth into spiritual laws than he would into physical laws? Surely he does. Not because he is trying to keep us from having a good time, but because he doesn't want us going around getting our bones broken and our hearts broken and our spirits broken. He's for us. And the laws of God, the laws of morality, the laws of decency are given for our welfare, for our good. 
Now, I know this sounds a little strange in our day, but I'm going to say some things that may sound strange in our day. I talk to all kinds of people. I mean, under all kinds of circumstances, everything. You cannot imagine that there is no subject that I have not, in some conference within the last few years, sitting down there in that office, talked to people about. I don't believe there's anything. Murder? Incest? Stealing? Adultery? Homosexuality? Child molesting? Incest? Name it. Well, if you think a preacher lives in an ivory tower, you'll just eavesdrop on a few conferences. Live anywhere but an ivory tower. I think some of the people that come to talk to us are the ones that are trying to live in an ivory tower, trying to pretend that there are no laws out there that affect life. So many of the problems have to do in our day with the so-called sexual revolution. And we cannot pick up a copy of the newspaper. We don't read about people living together, unmarried, living together. I've talked to some people who are in that situation separately and together. I think of some I see sitting there just crying, saying this isn't working. It's not going to work. Life won't back it. It's not going to work. Well, it'll satisfy you a while, but it's not going to work. Problem of homosexuality. So many discussions about whether or not a homosexual is born with that uh, human condition as others of us are born with a heterosexual condition. That may be the case with some people. Frankly, it is hard for me to believe that God and a willing person are limited. That somehow there are some things God cannot do. I really don't believe that. Now, if a person has homosexuality as the human condition of their life, my friend, it is a sin before God and humankind to act upon it. As I believe it is a sin for anyone not married to act upon the human condition of their heterosexual desire. People say, oh, Buckner, but don't you realize it's an appetite, and an appetite must be satisfied. It is not an appetite. Hunger is an appetite that must be satisfied. Thirst is an appetite that must be satisfied. You can live very well without sexual relationships. And without sexual relationships in the will of God, it is better that you abstain. Whatever the human condition is of your sexuality, abstinence, celibacy, is what God says. 
Now, my friend, all I'm standing up here today trying to tell you is what God tells us. And what I see in my own life and what I see and, as pain and heartbreak in the lives of other people. Now, I've been a happily married man for over 30 years. And I know that I may look at this from the point of view that some folks consider old-fashioned. I don't consider myself old-fashioned at all. But I believe that monogamy, one man with one woman married, not one man with another man, not one woman with another woman, but one man with one woman married, and fidelity, faithfulness to that married partner, and commitment to that individual for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part, I believe that's the best plan. And I believe it because the Word of God Himself says that's the best way for human beings to live. And He knows the score. Make no mistake about it. God knows the score because he started the game, he put us in it, and he's the scorekeeper. And we have God with whom to deal. Not only do I believe that's best, because I've also seen the pain in human lives that disobedience produces. And my friend, I just enjoy life too much to foul it up intentionally. We mess it up enough without trying. But to foul it up intentionally, I, I just don't enjoy suffering that much. And I don't enjoy other people's suffering that much. Say, well, Buckner, don't you realize that our culture has changed? No, it hasn't. Culture's not changed. We're just trying to whistle in the dark, trying to convince ourselves that it's changed. It's not changed. Culture's not changed. Even if it has, the pain that that causes has not changed. And I see that pain. And if culture has changed, Christ hasn't changed. I don't remember the Lord ever editing the Ten Commandments. Where is the revised version of the Ten Commandments? It won't work. Say, so, well, our ways are different today. Yes, my friend, but the way of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want life to work, if you want it to work at its best and its happiest and its brightest, follow God's pattern for life. Don't be foolish because of transgression and iniquities. Then there's a fourth group. 
These folks go down to the sea in ships. They do business in great waters. These are the, these are the movers and shakers of the world. These are the merchants and the managers of the world. They go out to do great things. All of you are in that category. Maybe in school, you may be in work, you may be home, you may be doing both, but all of us fall into this category. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You and I do that. They mount up to the heavens. Some days things are just going great, terrific, marvelous, wonderful. And they go down again to the depths. The Dow Jones averages come in and the bottom falls out. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro, stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Here are people, these folks are not doing anything wrong. They're just trying to live in the world. They're just trying to work. They're just trying to do their best. And sometimes circumstances over which they have no control and that are not in any way related to moral or immoral behavior crashes in upon them. You go to sea to do business, to do the best you can, and you're not able to see the storm or predict the storm, but sometimes you get in it. I talked with a couple this past week who are going through a deep time of trouble right now. He needing work and been offered a job, but a job that he conscientiously does not believe that God would have him fulfilled because he believes he would be compromising his conscience to take that job. And they are praying since Thursday when we talk. They're praying until Monday morning that God will open to them the kind of job because they need to work, but the kind of job that he can fulfill with clear conscience and commitment. You don't know the couple. I wouldn't tell you in a thousand years, but you pray for them. They're here today, and they're praying for that. There are many people like that not wanting to do anything bad, not doing anything evil, but the world falls in upon them. Life crashes. Well, here we are. All four of these groups, travelers, rebellious individuals, sometimes acting foolish, sometimes acting very sanely and sensibly, but everything seems to collapse upon them. What then? Here comes the grace out of the garbage. If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline it because it just recurs over and over and over and over. Four times, the same response to all four people. The traveler, the rebellion-prone individual, the fool, the merchant, Oh, then, verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28, same thing it says of every one of them. Listen, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Garbage in, grace out. They cried to the Lord in the midst of their trouble, whether it was wandering or rebellion or foolish behavior or incidental consequences of just the business of everyday living, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And notice those words, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Garbage in, grace out. Garbage in, grace out. 
Cry unto the Lord. Talk to God. Pray to the Lord in the midst of your trouble, and he will deliver you out of all of your distress. Remember, this psalm begins with God's unfailing and unconditional love. Love for what? Love for rebelling people and foolish people and wandering people and busy people. Love for all of us. And he says, if you'll just cry to me in the midst of your trouble or distress, I will deliver you out of all of your trouble and distress. Just ask me. Call upon me, he says, and I will show you great and mighty things which you have never known. Do that today. And when you do, you'll be able to say with the psalmist what he also says four times. Verse 8, verse 15, Verse 21, verse 30, listen to what he says. Coming out of all of these troubles and these problems, this rebellion, this foolishness, this wandering, this busyness, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's how you ought to walk out of this service today. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Goodness to save us, goodness to redeem us, goodness to hear us and to bring us out of all of our distresses. Oh, that men might hear and respond and praise God for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He says it four times, over and over and over and over. And in conclusion, listen to what he says. He amplifies it the final time. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress. He makes the storm a calm. The waves are still. Then they are glad because they're quiet. Your conscience just tearing up a storm today in your life because of some things you're doing that you know before God are wrong? Some rebellion? Some foolish behavior? Some wandering? some indifference, some preoccupation, some inordinate love for busyness, whatever it is. You want to be glad? Call upon the Lord. And you'll be quiet. He, and he will bring them, he will bring you into your desired haven, your desired destination. You want joy? You want peace? You want forgiveness? You want love? You want power? You want meaning? He will do it. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Garbage in? You bet, in all of us. Call upon him. He's got a program that will work in your life. He'll bring grace out. Call upon him. Walk out of this ser service saying, Oh, I praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Call upon him. Let's stand and bow our heads. And dear Lord, just as you told us in your word, we do right now. We call upon you. Whatever category that we've mentioned today that we're leaning toward or have been in or in the midst of, we thank you that you include us in your unconditional and unfailing mercy, that you purchase us, you redeem us, you gather us, you come here today 
because you care about us. And oh God, may every one of us, whatever the plight we are in and whatever the burden we carry, may we call upon you, may we cry to you in our distress and trouble that we may experience your deliverance out of all of our trouble. And we right now, every one of us in our hearts, praise you for your goodness, your wonderful goodness, and for your wonderful work to the children of men. We do this because it is through Jesus Christ that you bring grace out of garbage. We praise him. In his name we ask.